Romans chapter 11, um, the title of this morning's message is Inscrutable Until Explained. We're dealing with the remnant this morning. Uh, great significance. There's, there's uh, something that um, we cannot lose here as far as the remnant is concerned because we'll learn how it is that even the Apostle Paul had addressed uh, this issue with those in Rome that were believers and making reference to Elijah, who thought that he was the only faithful one. You know, just when we get to that point to where we perhaps think that, uh, you know, think we're in trouble and, you know, uh, we're the only ones who are faithful, uh, God says, uh, no, there are more faithful. But this speaks of God's sovereignty. It speaks of uh, his omnipotence, his, his power that um, will not fail and, uh, and there's no end to it. There's nothing that he can't do. But this, this is something that we ought to take to heart. That even though for us, we are limited in our understanding, God is not. And so he's going to explain a few things to us through this chapter. And specifically, again, this morning, we're dealing with a remnant. So let's begin by reading Romans chapter 11, verse 1. It says, I ask then, has God rejected his people? By no means, for I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Do you not know what the scripture says of, of Elijah? How he appeals to God and against Israel? Lord, they have killed your prophets, they have demolished your altars, and I alone am left. And they seek my life. But what is God's reply to him? I've kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So to at present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. But, But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. Verse 7, what then? Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking The elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened. As it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that would not see, and ears that would not hear, down to this very day. And David says, Let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution for them. Let their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see and bend their backs forever. Heavenly Father, you are faithful even when we are faithless. Lord, your plans and purposes, Lord, your, your will will not be thwarted. I pray, Father, that we would consider what we have before us. Lord, that it's simply put, and yet there's such depth to it that it can minister to us in our time of doubt, in our time of fear, in our time of disbelief, knowing that you are still on the throne, you are faithful, you are sovereign, and you are God Almighty. You love us with an everlasting love, you are merciful toward us, and you are long-suffering. You're waiting and waiting and waiting. I pray for all of us this morning, but in particular, 
for those that maybe at this very moment are waiting for something in order to make a full commitment to you. As if lightning, you were uh, compelled to cast lightning down from heaven in order for them to respond. I pray, Lord, that this would be the day of salvation. This would be the day of complete devotion, commitment, a yielding, a surrender, believing on Jesus Christ as the Son of God, walking in the Spirit, being obedient to you because it is a It is a proper response to the love that you first demonstrated to us. And so, Father, break any barriers, soften our hearts. May these words fall on fertile soil. May it produce a harvest of righteousness to your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Did you know that God's mercies are new every morning? They're not yesterday's mercies, they're not last week's mercies. His mercies are new every morning. And why is that? Because God desires mercy over judgment. He desires that we in this day would understand his mercies. God's grace is an inexpressible gift. And his plan of salvation is sure. It cannot be thwarted by anyone. For no one is greater than God. You know, no, no one who is um, suggesting different opinions can change the truth, uh, can change reality, can change the fact that God has laid out what is absolute in his word. Nothing. Nothing at all. You know, in Isaiah chapter 55, we have become familiar with these words, with these verses and in Isaiah 55, verses 6 through 9, it is written, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Yes, that was Isaiah 55. <laughs> Technology tries to speak for you. Our God is just. But oh, how he is so patient and long-suffering. You know... I got to say that we're stubborn, aren't we? We're stubborn. We're prideful. We're full of ourselves. And time and time again, we need to come together as a family of God and be reminded that he is God and there is no other. We need to humble ourselves before a holy and righteous God. We need to yield to him. Just believe. Just surrender. You know, there is a, there's a peace in surrendering to the Lord. There is a strength that is found in him that we can, cannot muster up on our own. When we are full of anxiety and worry and doubt and all of that, if we just rely on him, we will know what it is to be at peace. 
we will know his strength and his faithfulness on our behalf. He is long-suffering, and when people begin to say that God is slow to fulfill his promises, he explains that he is not, and how he is not, but rather he is patient toward you. Uh, It's interesting how it is that as he explains these things, we quickly come to the understanding that he's he's allowing these things and, and allowing this to continue for our sake, no one else's sake. He's not slow. He's just waiting for you. He's patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. 2 Peter 3.9 You know, if the Lord came back 30 years ago, how many of you would be with him? 20 years ago? 10 years ago? Five years ago. You know, the, the further back we go, the more people we lose. I'm glad that it's just one more day for no other reason than to know that he gave me another day in which he was patient with me. And I finally got it. I understood how much he loved me and he expressed it through the giving up of his son, sending him to die on my behalf. And I yielded to him. I surrendered to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. I sure am glad he gave me that day back in 1992. Because had he come back the previous year, I would not be with him. Have you ever wondered what God is doing by allowing certain situations to happen the way they do? Perhaps you're in the middle of one right now. I just can't figure it out. I don't know why it is that you're allowing this God To go the way it is. What's the purpose of this? I don't see it. Why did you allow that to happen? I don't see how this has any meaning. It's interesting. Those are good questions. But they're asked in in the wrong way for the wrong reasons. It's more of God. I know that you are faithful. I know that you have a reason for allowing me to go through this. I'm the one that needs to... Stay close to you, read your word, and understand that I just need to be faithful to you. You know, in James 1, 2 through 4, it says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Every single thing that we go through serves a purpose. But let me tell you this also, that he owes you He owes us not one answer at all. He doesn't have to explain anything to us. He's told us enough. The details of life, he tells us, we we have his wisdom and we have his understanding or the understanding of his word, that knowledge, as we look to Jesus Christ and come to know him. We have everything in Christ as we come to know him Everything that pertains to life and godliness. In this chapter, in verse 33, Romans 11, says, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable are his ways. 
And this is the conclusion to the mystery of how God worked his plan of salvation into the whole world. Jews and Gentiles demonstrating once again how his riches, his wisdom, his knowledge are unsearchable because they are too deep for our limited understanding and they are impossible to understand or interpret outside of God. So until he explains it to us, we are without knowledge. And he's explained it to us in his word. God will conclude that which admittedly is not understood by people. And many things also that you thought you understood. There are many things I thought I understood until I read the word and came across an explanation of many things. And still am. As I continue to go through, I thought I understood it and then I realized I didn't understand that. In this chapter, we'll learn about how God's ways of handling Israel, his chosen people, and the Gentiles, those not included with them, regarding salvation, are beyond our understanding. But as he explains his plan, this mystery is no longer a mystery. It's, it's revealed. It's explained. And at that point, we come to an understanding and we clearly know. This speaks of, um, if you think about the Lord and his character, his consistency, what he desires for us. He desires for us to know. Not that we, wouldn't, that we would be kept in the dark. He wants us to know these things. So let us not be ignorant people. A, a people who, although we have the word before us, disregard it, uh, we, we become lazy and, and don't read it. No, he desires for us to know God's word, know him, and to understand the things that we experience and how to navigate through them to his glory. If you have anything that needs explaining, God is able. Inscrutable until explained by God. Now, The remnant is what is referred to here, is addressed in these first ten verses. The Apostle Paul, you see in the previous chapter, had just written about how God had held out his hands with with an offer of peace to a disobedient and contrary people. Who was he referring to? He was referring to the Jews. They were disobedient. And they were a contrary people. They were a stiff-necked people. And so the thought that God wants us to understand is that just because his people have rejected him and turned their backs on him, that does not mean that he will reject them and turn his back on them. You know, that's something that perhaps we may do. We get to a point to where it's like, okay, we've, gone, we've crossed the line and there's no way There's no way that I'm going to forgive. I'm going to hold a grudge. I'm going to continue going. And so we start thinking of God in these terms. Oh, that's God. No, that's not God. If that was God, um, he could judge us all in an instant. And we would be left with nothing here on earth. No one. Again, I go back to Isaiah 55. Consider his thoughts. Consider his ways. They're not our ways. They're not our thoughts. 
He doesn't think the way we do. God's ways are not our ways. He doesn't respond and act the way we do. His thoughts and plans and purposes are pure. They are perfect and they are right. And Paul is explaining how it is that God's character is consistent. He is consistently faithful and he is indeed long-suffering. Now, how many of you have the gift of patience? Hurry up. (laughs) He is faithful. In spite of our thoughts, in spite of our, our actions, he is faithful. Second Timothy 2.13 says, if we, de- if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. And in Christ, we have the full expression of God, for he is God. Colossians 2.9 says, for in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. So all you, do, all you have to do is look to Christ. But you have to look to Christ according to his word. Not your opinion, not thoughts, not what anyone else says, but... What does God's word say? Look to the word. Because the example of God's faithfulness is known in Christ. Even though he was rejected by many Jews, even though he was rejected by many Gentiles, he still died and offered them salvation through his shed blood on their behalf. Even while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. So he is referring to God's remnant. This is a question that the Apostle Paul asks, and it's a rhetorical question because there is an obvious answer to it. So, with all of this known, having considered what he just said leading up to this portion of Scripture... Has God then rejected his people? And he has a response to that. By no means. By no means. God's remnant. And Paul gave, you know, sometimes we have to give all kinds of explanations. You know, give me another point. Give me another point. Like, like you need to convince me. And, And the apostle Paul to those in Rome, the believers, he gave just one example. Just one. In order to prove that God did not reject his people. One example that he is enough to make his case. And that's what Paul did. He just gave one. Why is this enough? Because we need to ask that question. Why is just one example enough? Well, I mean, we can go on to many examples, but this is only one that the Apostle Paul gave. God is the same. You can read this. And then you can go to another area of Scripture and read it. He's consistent. This is enough because as God explained to Elijah that he had a remnant and this was enough for Paul. So it should be for us as we look back at the Old Testament and we see God's character and his actions to be consistent. It should be enough. Oh, yeah, you're right. It's a reminder It was enough for Paul to know that God has not rejected his people. In fact, the Apostle Paul was one example. Why was he an example? He considered himself 
Who was Paul? Well, Paul was a descendant of Abraham. Is this not part of Israel? It was. He was, right? And he was from the tribe of Benjamin. Let's make it a little bit more specific. And guess what? On the road to Damascus, he came to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. So just him by himself is proof that God had not turned his back on his people. Just Paul. But we're talking about the Israelites as a whole. Secondly, he made a reference to Elijah, the great prophet. He didn't die, but he was raptured up into heaven. Elisha was the one that witnessed this. He, was a, he testified of this very thing. And Elijah, being the great prophet that he was, he thought he was the only faithful servant of God on the earth. You know, it's, uh, <clears throat> it's when we start thinking again that God is in trouble, that we're actually in trouble. We're not thinking right. Because God told him differently. Elijah thought for, you know, that this was the case. Listen, for all those who keep saying that the church is dead, I've heard that. The church is dead. The church is in trouble. The church is declining. No, I don't think the church is declining. I think it's being refined. I think it's being sifted. That's what I think. Judgment begins in the house of the Lord. And I think it's becoming more challenging. You know, the, the entertainment... I pray that if it's for entertainment or all the amenities, you know, the skateboarding and all that, that 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 isn't what holds people in church. Perhaps that's what's used in some cases to expose people to the gospel, but it shouldn't be what retains them. Otherwise, you have to go bigger. Go big or go home, you know, just let's just do it all. You know, and it becomes a big center of entertainment. No, I believe it's being sifted. Church, listen to me. If, if you are coming to church because perhaps it's comfortable, they're saying what you just want to hear, you're never convicted, there's just never, there's not a growth. You've heard this before, you know, and you're just kind of going through the motions. Ask the Lord to reveal anything that is not of Him. Ask him to convict your heart. You should be growing in the Lord. We're, we're disciples. In fact, the Great Commission is to make disciples of all nations. right? Teaching them to observe all of God's commandments. That's what we are to do. We are to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The church is not dead. It's not dead just because it's not rising to the occasion of furthering a political agenda or a social agenda. There's something similar that happened in Jesus' day. Think about Jesus' day. In that day, it must have been perfect, right? There was no immorality. All the Jews were in agreement with the political party that was in charge. And they loved the, the whole welfare system that they had, right? It was amazing. No. There's much immorality. 
there was much social injustice. And there was much political instability throughout the whole world. But he came to give his life a ransom for many. What is our focus? Let's not lose sight of that. Our focus is Christ. Our focus is declare the God, to declare the gospel. To proclaim the good news. Jesus came to give his life a ransom for many. He came to make a way to the Father. Are you, is that your work? Are you making a way to the Father for others by introducing to them Christ? Because this world, I mean, we read this and we, we, we know. You know the direction we're going in? It's all found right here. It's not going to get better. Brothers and sisters, I would love to tell you it's going to get better. But perhaps uh, God's allowing it to get worse so that more people will get better. More people would be genuine followers of Jesus Christ who would be willing to give of themselves completely and give themselves completely for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for glorifying him. You see, many were hoping that Jesus was there to save them from Roman oppression. You, you know the story. Even the disciples, they didn't have a full understanding. They, they didn't get it until Jesus died. He was crucified. He was buried. Three days later, he rose from the grave. And they, he spent 40 days with them. And then after that time, he ascended. And today, he sits at the right hand of the Father. And the work is done. Many people had it wrong, and they thought that he was there to save them from Roman oppression and serve as their king in that day. But what was of greater importance to God the Father was that the heart of man would be dealt with, and therefore sin and death would be defeated in the person, in the people, that that would be defeated first. Because nothing else really matters if that's not dealt with. You can have your best life now and then go to hell. That's not what it's about. You know, I would rather that the Lord just give me enough than for him to give an abundance and for me to be greatly like surrounded with comfort than for me to forsake the Lord because of everything that he's blessed me with and take him for granted. Matthew sixteen eighteen says this, Jesus speaking to Peter and the disciples, he, he said, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, that is, on Jesus Christ, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The last portion, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Is that enough coming from Jesus to know that today the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church? I think that's enough right there. I, I can point to that, Matthew sixteen eighteen, and say, we're not in trouble. Let us be found faithful, though. Let us be the ones who stand. Let us be the ones who trust in Jesus Christ. 
Let us be a, a part of the greater work that God is doing. Let us be focused on Christ. And so Paul gave the example of Elijah. Again, Elijah thought he, that he was the only faithful one. And God said, no, you're not the only faithful one. At that moment, Elijah was crying out to God, telling him how the people had killed his prophets and torn down his altars of worship and how he alone was left of all of the faithful. And even so, they're seeking my life is what Elijah was was crying out to God with. They're seeking my life. Is God in trouble and unable to the point that he needs our help? Not at all. Paul knew God was faithful. And he was referring simply to Elijah because he was a great servant of God. A great example of a faithful servant. But even a faithful servant, even someone like Elijah, can have a wrong perspective. He can have the wrong thoughts. That's why we ourselves ought to be humble before the Lord. We can have wrong thoughts and then we come across God's word. Or we have a faithful brother or sister who shares with us God's word. And we are corrected. We are, we are righted. No, God told him, no, Elijah, I have 7,000 men. 7,000 faithful And these 7,000 are because of my grace. And they are faithful to God. Not because they've earned this place, but because God has been gracious toward them. I've kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. Then he says in verse 6, But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. Grace is unmerited favor. It's not just that we are denied that which we really justly should receive as far as any kind of punishment is concerned. But grace is given something that we don't deserve. And so this is ample evidence as we even go on to verses 7 through uh, 10, that God did not turn his back on his people. And even into onto uh, verses 11 and 12, as it says, So I asked, did they stumble in order that they might fall? Verse 11, by no means. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. God did not turn his back on his people. His people turned their backs on him. And he gave them over to a spirit, as it's explained there, a spirit of stupor and eyes that cannot see and ears that cannot hear. It was what they chose and not what God has chosen for them. Let's go back and read those verses. Verse 7, it says, What then? Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. The elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened. As it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that would not see, ears that would not hear, down to this very day. And David says, let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution for them. 
Let their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see and bend their backs forever. Verse 11 says, again, so I ask, did they stumble in order that they might fall? By no means. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. Now, if their trespass means riches for the world and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? And we'll hit on that. We'll we'll go into that next week. The elect, how do they obtain salvation? We are saved by faith. We are saved by grace through faith, right? So what is it that we express? We express a faith. They come come to salvation the same way anyone else does. We are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Not by works lest any man should boast. It, it's, all of this is explained as we read here. It's explained in Romans chapter 9 as we went over a couple weeks ago. Verses 30 through 33, it says, What shall we say then that Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it? That is a righteousness that is by faith. But that Israel who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone. As it is written, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. We just went over that. Last week in Romans chapter 10 verse 8. It says, But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe it in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him. One more time. Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on his name. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Salvation comes the same way to each and every one of us. Insist on rejecting God, and he may give you over to the lusts, of your hearts to impurity. Touching back on Romans chapter 1. Insist on rejecting God and he may give you over to dishonorable passions. Again, going back to Romans chapter 1. Insist on rejecting God and he may give you over and up to a debased mind to do what ought not be done in Romans chapter 1 also. We've gone over these things. And many of these Jews rejected God in this manner. There, There are many people today who have rejected the offer of God's grace through Jesus Christ. These people, as many today, still believe that the observance of the law was what made them righteous in that day and what makes us righteous today. And it does not make us righteous. In reality... They were dead towards spiritual matters. And we who rely on righteous deeds in order to earn salvation are also dead to spiritual matters. 
we do not understand. Their spirit of stupor produced blindness and a deafness to the gospel. If we insist on those things, that's what can happen. We grieve the Holy Spirit. Even though we have eyes, we cannot see. Although we have ears, we fail to hear. In other words, have understanding. Think of this. A child can understand the gospel and respond to it. What does that say for the real smart and intellectual adult? Are we in that place of being given over to a spirit of stupor, having eyes that cannot see or will not see, and ears that cannot hear? The thought that just because they were Jews, they were safe. This is what David was referring to. And David says, let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution for them. Let their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see and bend their backs forever. By the way, this was David's prayer. Again, I, I say, I, I refer, I'm just referring to Scripture, chapter 9, verse 32. Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works, they have stumbled over the stumbling stone. As it is written, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. They thought they were safe. They would come very confidently to a gathering and think they were all safe because they were observing the law. And who observes the law perfectly? No one observes the law perfectly. Guilty in one area of the law, as it says in James, guilty in it all, of it all. The thought that just because they were Jews, they were safe and saved was the very trap that they were fooled by And they were fooled by the enemy to think that they were safe. And it served to lead them to destruction. There is no such thing as self-righteousness. Just the belief of self-righteousness. This is actually arrogance and pride. And the belief that one has made up his own way to God and is capable of reaching him. There is no such thing as self-righteousness. There's only, there's, righteousness belongs to one, and he is God. And through Christ, he imputes it to us. Only that way. These are actually people who have abandoned God, but he himself, get this, even though, this is what we need to understand, even though they have abandoned God, Has God abandoned them? Nope. He's actually using the Gentiles to provoke jealousy in them. Oh, we know your God. We know the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We are truly grateful. We look forward with great hope to being in all of his glory. In what God is doing through it all, he's saying, look to the Gentiles. The Gentiles have come to know salvation. They know me, and and that is to serve as provocation. It's a good provocation. That they would be jealous and and come to him themselves. No, he's faithful. 
He pursues, pursues us with an everlasting love. Uh, his kindness, his mercy, his grace, his love demonstrated through Jesus Christ. So be encouraged. God has not abandoned anyone. If you're here and you, and you feel like you've been abandoned, like God has turned his face from you, he has not. He will never do that. We're the ones that reject him. The moment we turn around, it, it, it's, in a way, it's, he's never left us, and so he's, he's right there. We've, we stray, we stray, we stray, we go, we go, we go. We go into the depths of darkness, in the flesh, in everything, our own thoughts. And the moment we ask for forgiveness and we turn around, he's right there with open arms, ready to embrace us and bring us in. He's not abandoned anyone. But we need to quit worrying about other people. Remember how God has been gracious toward you. What about others? Listen, at this very moment, it's just you. It's not anyone else. It's just you. Remember how God has been gracious toward you and how he will never be overcome. But how he has already overcome the world through Jesus Christ our Lord. God has a remnant. The question that I want to ask you this morning is, are you a part of that? Are you a part of the remnant? The, it, it's not, the world is, is not going to come to faith. We can pursue, we can offer it, right? But one by one, just as yesterday, as, as we, we sat in a, a memorial service, a celebration of life for our dear friend Jim Burt, who is now in God's glory, We need to understand that not everyone will respond, but those who have responded, who have not rejected him, who have not denied him, have come to know salvation. God has a remnant. He has not rejected his people, and we can be confident in that. But for us, we need to make it personal. And we need to demonstrate our love toward him. This whole chapter is God explaining how his plan of salvation is being worked out. For Jews and Gentiles alike. God wishes that none should perish, but that all should reach repentance. God has extended his offer of peace through Jesus Christ. God has those who are faithful toward him and know his grace and salvation by believing in Jesus Christ. Again, Verse 33 in this chapter says, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. It is even in the offer of salvation to Gentiles that God is making the Jews jealous of his love for you. That they may have come to know salvation themselves and love and the love that he has for them. So he's trying to make them jealous through you. Make them more jealous. Lead more, help be that vessel that is leading more people to Christ. And pray for our brothers and sisters in, in Israel and throughout the world, who are his chosen people. We desire that they would have that veil lifted from their eyes, that they may see 
that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. Because the heart of God is for you to know him through his son, Jesus Christ. As it says in John 14, 6, Jesus saying, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So are you one of the faithful toward him? Because in the end, everything, as we saw in verse 36, for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever and amen. Respond to his love. Respond to his grace. Respond to his long-suffering. He's waiting for you. Will you respond? Father, we pray that your spirit would soften our hearts. Lord, that we would be mindful of your love, your grace, the offer of salvation and peace in Christ. I pray, Lord, that you would minister to us and that we would respond. Lord, that, uh, Lord, if there's anyone here who does not know salvation in Christ, that today would be the day of salvation. That this very moment, they would understand that, uh, Lord, what you desire above all is repentance. That they would come to know you as Lord and Savior. And so, Father, I pray that today would indeed be the day of salvation. There would be a confession of their sins to you. That there would be a complete surrender to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And I pray, Lord, that you would strengthen the church. Lord, we would uh, take our lives seriously, Lord, and that is to bring you glory. That we would be willing and available vessels to be used by you. People who, uh, Lord, are, whose hearts are completely devoted. And, and Lord, we, we are zealous for the things that um, bring you glory. Bless you. Lord, doing the work of an evangelist. Uh, Lord, being students of your word, applying it uh, to your glory. And so, Father, help us. We are in desperate need of your help. We know that we cannot do it in our own strength, and it is only by your spirit. So, Father, bless the rest of this day, Lord. Help us to remember your word and keep it in our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray.